everyone unmute by like that you don't have to unmute but like do you have the ability to unmute? yeah okay cool. awesome thanks I had a pom for Evan as well, and she's gone. <laughs> oh, that's rude. Um, Save it for the next time. Yeah. Okay. I didn't get the memo that we were doing Christmas jumpers. I'll go and grab mine. Um, I didn't send a memo. I meant to a couple of days ago, and <laughs> I just didn't. Um, well, I haven't got jumpers. one on either. <laughs> I didn't know about it, but I'm, I'm just I'm wearing one because it's what I wore for work, and I haven't gotten changed. Christmas like, jumpers. I don't finish work tomorrow. Like, I've got a half shift, and then I've got I'm back in Monday, Tuesday, I think next week. But I'm just counting it as I'm broke up now from work because I finish at half ten tomorrow. I'm not going to do loads tomorrow. Yeah. So like I'm in holiday mode now. Yeah. Holiday mode, CPCL. What do you do, Andy? Oh, um, mostly I just sit and drink coffee all day. Um, <laughs> Officially. But what I'm supposed to do is um, I'm a warranty returns analysis technician. I don't even know. I forgot. what. Like, it's been so long since I said that. Um, yeah, I, I um, so basically the things that make the airbags fire in, in the cars, mm -hmm. when they're defective, they get sent to us and we find out why. Right. Which sounds better yeah. than it is. Um, yeah, it's it's the job itself's all right. It's just the people are really boring, um, uh, and like I don't know, they're very narrow. Yeah, they're just they're not bad people. They're just they're just difficult. Yeah, we'll make a big difference who you work with, can't it? Really? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't know. The plan is to get out of there as soon as um, as soon as possible next year. Um, I might be reading a form about it, like I normally do, like some kind of angry work form, yeah. but it's sort of... Well, yeah, I'm not getting to the chest. Yeah, I've got another one of those. Um, oh, thanks, Dad. Yeah, your your Christmas beard is uh, is Santa-rific. Santa-rific. I should have, like, spray-painted it, maybe. I don't know. Like, spray it or no, it's great I that it's red. It. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, it's one down a well at work. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there was... A reading order that I haven't had a chance to print or write out. So, if everyone wants to put in the chat if they want to read, and I'm just gonna like, as the names come in, I'm gonna write them down, and that'll be the order. Unless somebody really doesn't want to go first, in which case they don't have. I'm I I'll take a bullet. I don't mind whatever you want. <laughs> cool, I'm first. That's what they call it in comedy. They call it taking the bullet. Because <laughs> whenever you go first, it's uh, exciting. Oh, so. Stuff. Is everyone having a, a happy holiday season? How's your Hanukkah going? Anybody uh, celebrating? celebrating the Hanukkahs? Hanukkah Samich, everyone. That means happy Hanukkah in Hebrew. Uh, me, I guess. I've been making challah bread like crazy. If anybody follows me on I the Facebooks, that. I can't stop baking. <laughs> I just can't stop. <laughs> no, it's been great. I've been, uh, I made my last batch with weed in it too, which was exciting. 
and uh, <laughs> yeah, well, weed. Maybe my next question was how much weed was in it. Fifty milligrams per little mini loaf, so they were pretty strong. And then uh, yesterday, I made these little um, mixed nut caramel, like I call them bon bongs, uh, but they're weed. They're little weed chocolates, and they're awesome. I've been, uh, <laughs> I'm like, happy luck, everyone. Let's get high. It's uh, California, <laughs> California Christmas, Hanukkah. Busy night. Uh, do you want me, do you want to do the rules, Andy? Tell everybody not to be a dick. Uh, yeah, don't be a dick. Uh, that is, that is the, the main rule. Um, that is the rule. Uh, no matter how well or poorly I try to explain it, that is literally what I always end up saying. So, yeah, um, just when you, when you come on to read, introduce yourself, uh, give your pronouns. Uh, trigger warnings if necessary and don't be a dick uh, time limits normally we say about six seven minutes today there's not loads of us so uh, fine ten minutes. <laughs> you can have 10 minutes yeah um that's it what's the presenter's name check no there's no one waiting yeah so like we clash with fence speak tonight um which is an event Beth normally goes to and is involved with. I think she sort of co-runs it. Um, there's like probably a few people that would normally be here that are there. Um, but no, we'll crack on. So up first, we're going to go to Pam. Yay! Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Pam, and my pronouns are uh, she and her, uh, although I do identify as a witch, and then my pronouns are us and we. That's a new joke. Uh, I, I actually, I'm gonna, I just want to open with a joke tonight. I went to the dentist. I've been, um, I've been having some dental work done. I'm, I'm an official queen now. I got a crown, which is kind of like a little Lego for your tooth, I've learned. But uh, I always learn life lessons when I go to the dentist. And so this is what I learned uh, this time. Number one, I can keep my mouth open a long time without complaining. Uh, number two life lesson that I learned, my gag reflex, not as pronounced as I thought it was. And life lesson number three, I kind of like a man's fingers in my mouth. <laughs> but you know how awkward it is to ask Dr. Kyle to pull your hair? I mean, what? <laughs> okay, yeah. new joke. That's my new, that's my new dentist joke. And I went back to my dentist and I told him and he laughed so hard and he's like, are all your jokes dirty? And I was like, that's kind of a clean joke, actually. And he brought all his other dentists around, and I got to tell them all the joke. And they were all just, they thought it was, they thought it was very funny. Okay. Uh, so I have four poems today. Uh, and the first is called Boundary Issues. <laughs> uh, I went to a therapist today. He said, I have boundary issues. I'm not good with maps, I said. Maps scare me. It's the boundaries, squiggly lines dividing there from here. Culture is attracted to squiggles. Boring places are square. Kansas, for example, Ohio, San Jose. I'm not really sure if those places are square. I'm afraid of maps and try not to stare at the, all those flat lines of separation. Respect those lines, call them borders. Now we have borders, you said, straight lines between you and me, new separations cut on our map. These lines will blow away, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I pretend deep into the morning. When you talk in your sleep, I will not hear the don't. Fall in love with me. Fall in love with me. 
I have no boundaries. Okay, that's the first one. Yay. Yay. Oh, I was reading um, this week, I was rereading Rainier Maria uh, Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet, even though I'm an old poet. And um, in one of the first letters, he says, which I feel like, I feel like that book is the um, Virginia Woolf Room of One's Own for Men in 1904. But um, I was reading one of the letters and he's like, don't write love poems. Everyone writes love poems. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm like, all I do is write love poems. <laughs> Crap. Um, let's see. I'll read this one next. Uh, this is uh, Lita and the Swan. And I uh, took some William but Butler Yeats quotes and I mixed them with my own sort of thing. This has some trigger warnings because it's about rape. But we, if you know Lady and the Swan, it's, you know, it's about a Zeus turning into a swan and raping a lady. From the perspective of the girl, Leda, questioned post-rape kit in hospital gown. His great wings trapped me, inescapable. There was no caress, caught hard in his bill. Terrified, my fingers froze, pushed nowhere. My struggle meaningless, I acquiesce. The police officer shrugs, sips coffee. You didn't fight the bird. You asked for it. Who can be indifferent to the gods above? It wasn't a man, but God transformed a swan. Who are we mortals to attack their whims? Women have no knowledge of their motives. The doctor returned with two small blue pills press them to Leda's tongue, and close the door. Okay, so that's that one. And let's see. Uh, this, I, I used to have a, I used to have a pretty serious relationship with Jesus. <laughs> and um, I, I broke away from uh, religion and stuff, but uh, Jesus sometimes comes back in my poems and stuff as an as a, as a ex-boyfriend. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, the Bible is downloadable but hard to print. This is a valid excuse. I have a note from my doctor. I tried to listen to the Jesus dude in the quad, a poet for God, but he was yelling about the lake of fire and condoms and Miley Cyrus, so I felt too sick to stay. I don't have a note for that. I meant to talk to you last night. Jesus shook the cell phone at me mouthed, it's dad. But I was so tired, you understand. And what of your excuse? If you wanted to speak, you could appear at my door. Come in and have tea. I made some lovely cookies. We will sit in two small chairs and hover over the dolls, lift pinkies and gossip about boys. You were a great invisible friend when I was seven, when I believed in heaven, when I whispered to Jesus all the time. And your son was better than Jan Brady's boyfriend in Niagara, Clark Kent, Dwight Clark, and Holden Caulfield all in one. That was a love poem about Jesus. Uh, okay, here's my last one for today. And this is, I don't know, it's just about, it's, you know, poetics about poetry and whatnot. Persuade me in the first 10 minutes. What's going to happen next? I have lost my place and will never become famous anyway. I am not a real painter, a real poet, a real character of interest, an obscured dare forcing a real voice. Sometimes there, just right, 
a balance will suffice. There is no personal courage, decorum in social spaces. My first impression is always fucked up, one full leap from tradition. My confession is nothing, personal mythology unwritten, banal and quotidian. There is no drama in the everyday with hesitation pulled in. I don't believe in God, so I don't have to improve myself for death. Scarlet doesn't give a damn about tears or potatoes or yearning for snow or the withered yesteryear. A never-ending frozen God and all the children cry in the sun. Okay, that's me today. Yay! Yay, poems! Yay! Yay! Hooray! Thanks, Pam. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Yay! That was awesome. Yeah, I think, Pam, you need to, like, put all of your poems together and, like, put them online or bring them out or something, because, well, I don't know, I, I would love to read that shit. Well, they're all so disparate, though. I feel like I have all of these different modes, and it's it's kind of like the jokes I write, too, where, like, they're pods. Like, I've got 10 minutes of cat jokes, and I've got 10 minutes of Jesus jokes, and I've got, I feel like, you know, I've got, I'm so all over the map with, like, I just, I wouldn't know how to collect them in... Yeah. Like something that would people might want to read. <laughs> would, would that not be a sort of theme, though, that the fact that you are all over, you know, that there is so disparate amount of of poems there, you know, there's, so there's something for everybody. Yeah, yeah it's just, on everything. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll look at some stuff and see what I'm doing. I just haven't, I don't know. I feel like it's, and Andy, you're so brave to put your your stuff together in 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 books. I just, I, I do you have an who like. You kind of need like an editor that you trust to say these fit together, these don't. Because I don't know, in graduate when I was in graduate school, they were always like, you have to have a theme throughout your poetry book. It isn't just like here's all these poems I've written. It's like this is the um, these are the Jesus poems. These are the you know I don't well, know. It could be the world according to Pam Betjeman. <laughs> <laughs> anybody That's interested in that? Well, thank you. Yay! <laughs> I'll have a project this winter. So next, we're going to go to Christine. Hi. Hi. I'm Christine Fowler. My pronoun is she, because um, I'm an old fart, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it's difficult to know which ones to do, because I've been doing quite a few lately. But this is one I just did this afternoon, about six o'clock-ish, <laughs> and it's called Last Words. He stood on the bridge with arms open wide, his eyes firmly fixed on the moon and the sky, whilst beneath his feet the waters tumbled and roared. I'm coming for you, my own dear love. These last words he sang out into the night as he stepped forward and began his flight. He flew from the bridge and out into the air like a bird on a current without a care. That moment of magic did not last long. Gravity claimed him and ended his song. He crashed through the wind and onto the rocks, but still a faint echo lingered into the night. And now when you pass over that bridge, his words can still be heard. When the moon is full and the wind whistles round and the waters below eddy and whirl. That's the first one. Um, 
this one I did last week. It's called The Clockmaker's Daughter. Heart as big as a pineapple stuffed in her chest. At midnight, it rang its alarm that clung through the house like a claxton call. Drowsy and warm, the kitchen made from the oven top fell, landed on the cat who weighed like a banshee, ran up the curtain, spitting and howling, sheltering and glaring at all those below. Who tumbled from beds, rattled down the stairs in curls and slippers or nightgowns with caps. Even Grandma came down with a groan and a creak, clutching her teeth in a glass. The clockmaker's daughter tiptoed down last, denied all knowledge of what had come to pass. No, she'd not heard an alarm or anything like that until she heard the cat's shriek and the walk with a start. So after corn biscuits to settle the nerves, they all went back to bed and no more was heard. The clockmaker's daughter, on closing her door, opened her chest, took out the pineapple and pressed the reset. Turned down the volume and altered the time, plumped up her pillows, breathed a sigh of relief, that no one knew she was sleep safe. The second one. I think, see, these are quite disparate as well. <laughs> um, there's this one, I think. Um, I kept seeing birds flying in formation and in particular crows against the white sky because it's very sort of white and no colour about in Newcastle at the moment. Um, and I called it, I am a crow. And it's, it's about the thoughts that was engendered by looking at that image. I am a crow in the middle of our formation pack on an aerial mission. Black beaded reconnoiter eyes spying on you below. Swoop overhead, a murder of crows. Speaking of secrets unknown to man, we have the inside knowledge of God's plan. Vestment feathers as black as sin and aerial priesthood conveying God's laws written in our silhouettes for all to see, outlined on the parchment white sky twixt God and thee. We missionary birds often misunderstood, wings like black angels and voices harsh. So look at the sky above, see God's rules all writ large. Look at the earth below, at institutions known to man, following rules which deny God's plan. Um, and on a different theme again. <laughs> this is called The Plant in All Innocence Blooms. Spread its petals wide, scenting the air with bee aphrodisiac for the wind to broadcast. It waited patiently that day and the next day too. The sun rose and shone and rain fed it life drops with shiny and bright. On day three, its petals began to lose their sheen. Day four, they curled up at their ends. Day five, the plant cried as the petals fell off one by one. As the days unfurled, it shriveled and died, as all around did too. The sun and the rain watched in despair, but without the bees, there was nothing they could do. Climate change. <laughs> And uh, time for the very last one, Andy. This is called uh, Visiting the Dentist 2020 Style. Um, and this is when I went to get my teeth done the other day. At the dentist, sucking water from my mouth, the sounds of winter winds coldly call and berated my ears. 
Behind my closed eyes, my vision filled with winter snows as icy waters swished and swirled within my mouth. The scraping of carcass from my teeth, these chips sucked swiftly down the plastic tube, then polished rough was smoothed on enamel until once again teeth were shining bright. All this done by a hygienist, clad in plastic blue from neck to welly top. I think gloves, helmet and mask with filters times two, one on each side of her mouth, as she stood on polished floor beside the plastic-covered dentist chair where I, goggles and apron, sat. time to give somebody else a chance <laughs> thanks christine that's it's good to hear from you again thanks. uh okay so next on this made up list is Anne. hi Anne. hi i'm Anne tweedy and i go by she hers oops um so i thought i'd read three um i keep I'm trying to read one off the screen and I, my view keeps getting messed up. Sorry about that. Let's see. Okay, the unsaying one. My father thought it was safest to be invisible. I can still hear his advice in fifth grade. Don't complain, Anne, don't do that. After a librarian tried to kick me and my best friend out into the night for no reason. Our scraggly hair and hand-me-downs, our skinny limbs, an alarm call. But we can't leave without my father, I'd said, and the librarian sarcastic, and where is your father, branded us. His descent from the mezzanine just then averted further shame, a long, dark city walk. When I wrote a letter of outrage a few days later, he told me not to send it. I complained, but I complied, but the fury festered, the cylinder of it still rigid like a tree scaffold inside me. Years after, I gave my first boyfriend a blowjob in that same library down a stack we thought no one would ever look in. Two, when my father was dying of pancreatic cancer during those endless months, he kicked himself for not standing up to his high school English teacher when she declared that his brother had written his paper. And I, who also hear nearly everything anyone has ever said in my head as if it is happening now, felt sorry for him, braided all those years with her unfaith, the not believing in oneself, the putting stock in others' pronouncements, our family ailment, his fury escaped in inexplicable births, bursts as he lay dying randomly accusing my sister of sleeping with guys on the third date, creating a rift that outlasted him, railing at his wife for not asking why he, for asking why he'd visited me in the Midwest when my son was little because she hadn't wanted him to go those nine years ago and he had stayed silent then. Silence being the thing in oneself that is hardest to forgive. This one's called Interior Architecture. It's almost meaningless to say the house was bulldozed, that house with its pale yellow clapboard exterior, deceptive somehow, white shutters with red shapes, rotting window boxes. It was a place that a child could not invite friends to. It was a prison of artificial walls, the stacks of newspaper, old mail, 
the boxes of who knows what, the careful stepping of the child through those rooms. The child didn't notice the careful steps, how they became part of her. This is not surprising. This is how learning happens without noticing. The crowding happens that way too, slowly. It feels worse when someone else sees it, like the man fixing the furnace, looking at the girl, now 10, and she at him wordlessly. And she imagined pity, but those were her own thoughts talking. What passed between them was clear-eyed, steady, indecipherable. It was decades later that the house was bulldozed by the buyer of the land after the tax foreclosure. There are likely records to prove it, permits and the bills of a contractor filed somewhere. One can even drive by where the house used to be and see a better house, the yard almost filled with its oversized footprint. It's nicer, the father of the little girl says to his grown-up daughter, and the pleasure that tinges his sentence estranges her. But the house is inside the child and the grown-up woman. She sits in the study of her new house in another state and feels the old house in her. Looking out the window at night, the streetlight a few yards off evokes it. The dirt driveway with its long, narrow swath of yard on the other side. She remembers her mother telling her about watching the bulldozer, how the new owner threatened to call the police if she touched her piles of stuff now littering the yard while neighbors sifted. The daughter knows her own stuff was in there too and that all of this is true, but the house still frames her eyes, those crumbling shutters. Looking out of her window at night, she feels herself within it. She still walks carefully without thinking about it. What is it that loss takes from us? Thank you. Thought I'd just read one more. Um, this one's called Vanishing Point, about parenting. Vanishing Point, when my son was born, his immense need and my ability to answer it were like the two hemispheres of the world. I was afraid and bewildered, yet comforted in knowing what my purpose was. When he slept in my bed between bouts of nursing, I'd throw my arm lightly across his chest, like a cave-dwelling woman, making sure that predators had to contend with me first. I remember marveling at his acceptance of my arm on his sleeping form at six months, nine months, a year. His uncomplicated thought was that it was good that I was there. If I turned from one side to the other so my back faced him, he'd wake up crying within seconds. Five and a half is a different story. Now he throws his 40 pounds around. Until a few weeks ago, to sleep in his own bed, he needed me to read to him, then cuddle him. This often led to my falling asleep for the rest of the night. But now he needs the whole bed to himself. Could I sit on the floor next to the bed and read? I love to put my arm around him and smell the sweet spring air in the top, on the top of his head. But if I've eaten garlic or drunk coffee, he says, Mommy, your breath smells horrible. I've gotten him to change it to, your breath doesn't smell that good. Maybe you should brush your teeth, but really it makes very little difference. And sometimes when he has a Lego vision, like a space station or a control tower, only his dad will do. Daddy knows more about them, he says, but really our visions are too dissimilar. And he's like Shuhuli, wanting minions to execute what's in his head. 
I think of my grandmother crying when I told her at five that I didn't like a doll she'd given me because its lined blue irises stared vacantly. My dismay then was rooted in the thought that adults were supposed to be stronger, less fragile than the sturdy kids who were waiting their turn to rule the earth. But here I am. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. That first poem, especially that I really, yeah, that was awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. So next we're going to go to Lisa. Hello, everyone. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, great. My pronouns are they, them. Um, and I'm going to be reading four poems for you as well. The first one um, was published in the West Review, so I'm kind of excited to share it with you. Two of the poems I'm reading um, were published, so I'll let you know where they are. Um, this is Anti-Sonnet Ice Cream. Um, there is trigger warnings for my reading. Um, there's a little bit of gender dysphoria and um, like um, a little like notions of domestic violence, but nothing overt. Um, I'm just, I just got out of a really abusive relationship and it's like still has a lot on me and, uh, I'm like still going through the trauma of it right now. Um, anyway, anti-sonnet ice cream, um, by Lisa, by me, by me, Lisa. <laughs> um, each, oh, and there's an epigraph. Each night I'm getting queer chasing myself by Evelyn Knight. Each night I turn the mirror away a medicine cabinet dirty and open. I dare to peek at my fogged up cloud, a glance that leads me queerer. Now that spring is at its edges, the mirror won't indulge fog. I chase no one but myself. Waiting for the time to catch down to me to see level ground, not stumbling along. Get an ice cream cone instead, don't fret. Enjoy the brief moments of sweetness. Um, so that's my first poem. Now, okay, the second poem I'm gonna read. Um, I actually got this idea of going on dating apps like Bumble and Hinge and asking people for random words and um, like creating poems out of it. And they're just really fun, short poems, um, but I would definitely recommend it. Like if you're having trouble like finding inspiration in pandemic, like it works. Um, so the words that inspired this poem are male, happy, wicker, and candle. I send happiness in the mail, whatever else could be happy in 2020. Like a wick on a candle, we wicker basket into flames. The year a dumpster fire cement my legacy in stamps, an address en route to you or no one, empty return address. There is never back, only one way, only toward a way. Um, that's my second poem. My third poem um, was published at the sock drawer um, and it's titled Home. You know a home isn't made for you when the bruise appears a week after jamming your arm hard against the doorknob that you always forget. The hallway laughs and begins to shrink. The home wants you gone. So the stairs sabotage you, trip when you miss a step, catch splinters in your heel. 
At first, this seems innocent, but the injuries continue to appear and figure. Stubborn, purple, and black blood home. It will not bend around you or allow your organs to go unpunished. Um, and I'm going to end on a really light note. So this poem was inspired by my like obsession in like October I started watching holiday movies like those garbage Netflix trash like Christmas movies that are just horrible so um here's um the poem that came out of that tiny obsession um romantic holiday movie the bells sprinkle the snow in our hearts a femme wearing red as warm as cinnamon heats our throats and a man in green mint, fresh to cleanse our hot chocolate mix, enters the scene. The banter is quick. The two on screen aren't aware of the conclusion we already see. Rolling our eyes predictability, we chomp on our salty popcorn, loving to hate the finale. The success she reaches, the easy path her corporate job lays out for a raise, for a raise and ultimate financial stability in a CEO or prince, depending on location, amorphous European country or cutthroat American office where she's an editor or a journalist. We're unable to look away or turn off the screen. The bells jingle, of course they do, throughout the movie. Our hearts warm, our, sorry, our hearts warmed in a fresh layer of continual snow. Um, so thank you again, I'm Lisa Kropchak. Um, yeah, let me know. Uh. <laughs> wait, wait, Lisa, Lisa, have you watched the California Christmas one yet on Netflix? I have not. I, I haven't have not. either. Good? No, I haven't either. I'm too scared. I'm too scared to watch it because it's too, like, I, I know it's going to happen and it's just, I can't. Like, I'm like, I know, I'm, I know the boy is cute and I'm going to be like, oh, this is, and then. And she's going to be way too young and she's got all the money and he's got it. His heart is going to change. I'm like, ah, anyway, I'm it's glad you watched so good, though. I, I love um, the ones with like Vanessa Hudgens and like um, the other like Disney star that like grew up. Like I like them, you know, like that's nice. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so nice. It warms my heart. <laughs> Yay. I enjoyed all those poems. Those were amazing. Yeah. yeah. Those were amazing. Thank you so much for coming. That was that was awesome. Um, okay. So normally we run for about two hours. I don't think we're going to run for two hours today. Um, so instead of going for like a break, we'll just keep going. Uh, so we're going to go to Holly now, if, if Holly's ready. Yep, cool. Hello. Hi. Um, so Pam, um, what you mentioned about the dentist before made me think, um, the last time I was at the dentist, actually, my dentist gave me some advice, um, about your gag reflex and it really genuinely works. And I don't know why it works, but it does. If you wiggle your toes, it really helps. If you wiggle your toes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, my dentist told Pro me because I... Apparently, don't have as good a gag reflex as I thought I did either. And my dentist told me, if you wiggle your toes, it helps. And she's fucking right. 
<laughs> I can't explain it, but it really does. So yeah, wiggle your toes. Thank That's you. Next time I'll do it. Promise. My dentist to you. And um, I wasn't going to read this one because I have some new poems, but going with the theme of dentists, um, my first poem is an old one. I've read it here before, but what the hell. Called A Trip to the Dentist. The procedure after a tooth extraction is to wait 24 hours, then rinse your mouth with warm salt water, cleanses the wound and minimizes the risk of infection. I wonder if there is a similar procedure for after the extraction of a marriage. How long for a root that grew 15 years deep? Rinse well with tequila, perhaps. Soothe with someone else's lips, someone else's touch, someone else's genitals, new and unfamiliar sexual proclivities. Why, for me, does dental trauma always seem to go hand in hand with the marital kind? Is it karma? Am I being punished? If that's the case, then he's well overdue a, a trip to the dentist. Uh, so that's the first one. Oh, sorry. Um, next one. I'm just trying to decide what order I'm going to read them in. Mm, we'll go with uh, some new ones. This one I wrote um, last week, I think. I think I wrote all of these last week, actually. Uh, it's called Ostrich. I smiled a dutiful smile while you tied my blindfold tight. I held it in place, stumbling around blind, while you ripped them all to shreds. In the dark, I heard the screaming, convinced it was them who did the beating. The wolves that used you up, so convinced of your piety, because you never hurt me. I was what you wanted me to be, filled with stupid, adoring naivety. You turned their love to darkness, left them in fear and alone, contrived your absolution, justified it with lies. Now you're gone, burned and into blackness. Your wolf ripped apart my blindfold. I blink at, it, at the harsh light, the reality that burns my eyes. So I bury my head below deep clumps of sand, coming out periodically in fortnightly appointments to take in the light a little at a time as much as my eyes will allow, before it all becomes too much. The doctor leaves out tissues to wipe my burning eyes. She tells me to accept the answers I will never have. But instead, I close my eyes, pull the sand across, encased in darkness, and my questions for at least one more fortnight. Um, um, next one I'm going to read um, is called Look Up. It's sort of a Christmassy poem. I wrote it a couple of weeks ago, um, just while I was walking through town. Actually, I wrote it on the bus after I uh, had a little walk through town and saw all the Christmas lights. So I slow my pace in time to the phrase song only I can hear. Look up in spite of myself. I love the Christmas lights. Their twinkle lifts me, lifts my head, lifts my soul. Yesterday there were tears, today there are twinkling lights. They make me lift my head, look up, notice again the small happinesses. The bookshop doors are open again, and the tops of old buildings, above the generic shop fronts, the Georgian windows and gabled rooftops, 
the arches and domes and the beautiful intricacies, intricacies carved by chisel, hammer and human skill. But now I can't look at them without thinking about him. His beautiful words, how they moved me, but meant nothing. It's 34 too young to have so many things I wish could change. If all of this had happened years ago, I would have already left, travelled, moved to the city, to get lost amongst the miscellany of people and old rooftops. I had put an end to the compromise, but I'm still making compromises, and they're not all ones I want to make. But I don't like the word regret, so I look up at the twinkling lights. There is hope. Things will look up. Thank you. Um, I'm nearly done. Um, the next one I wrote, um, it's fairly self-explanatory, but basically my daughter's goldfish died a uh, week before last, and it was genuinely quite sad. Um, so I wrote this poem uh, after we uh, dealt with it. It's called First Death. Tickle him, mummy, your plea. I gently explain why this won't work. Use a word you've never heard before. Too young to remember the funerals of your grandparents. This is your first encounter with death. That face I love, usually so full of joy. Those bright, beautiful eyes, normally so bright. Now clouded in incomprehension as you struggle to understand why your little companion lies lifeless in my hand. His eyes glassy his body limp. After the briefest of bathroom services, we wave him away with a flush. Bye bye fishy, you say. We return to the tank and you stare at the empty space where your fish just lay. In my embrace, you find a scent for your sadness. He's gone to sleep, you repeat, the only words of explanation I can offer, other than the assurance that he will be replaced with another black goldfish, just like the last one. And I wonder if I've done the right thing. And last one, um, I wrote this a couple of days ago for a um, magazine. Um, the submission theme was snow and I just finished binge watching Once Upon a Time on Netflix. So I think that's where this came from. And it's, uh, it's called Fallen Snow. Oh, trigger warning, by the way, um, for um, infertility and miscarriage. Her cold hands clenched, made grooves in freshly fallen snow. Pain tore at her as it wrenched another child from her womb. She lowered her head, cooled beads of sweat on the freezing earth, and caught sight of the blood, dripping down thighs onto soft white earth. Lips that once shamed the red, red rose, now pale, colour drained except for the hint of blue that now remained. Her hair, once black as ebony, now the streaks of grey which betrayed her rising age, clung limply around her death-white face. Her ever after was less than happy now. Those wedding bells had not been the end of the story. Songbirds and benevolent dwarves long gone. She cleans up her own and his messes these days. Still without an heir, he was less than charming now. The turning of his back, his silence, kinder than the emptiness in his once kind eyes. And the young women of court who glowed, thinking that she didn't know. 
as her body betrayed her yet again, alone in the castle grounds, snow, white, falling, she wept red tears. Thanks, Holly. Thank oh, you. Oh, I should say. Um, why did I say hi there? What the fuck was all that about? I was like, uh okay so next we're gonna go to aj okay can everyone hear me yep okay i'm gonna do uh four poems i'm aj mckenna um my pronouns are she her um in terms of trigger warnings these poems uh two of them are new two of them are ones i've done here before um they have reference to the coronavirus, uh, descriptions of racism, uh, descriptions of a number of um, famous uh, child abusers and famous, that sounds like the wrong way to describe it, doesn't it? But you know, not notorious. Um, and in the case of the first poem, uh, Spinal Trauma, this is Misawa. In Hiroshima, the fourth pillar broken, Atlanto axially, unseen. When Misawa fell, his body whole, he was a headless man. And yeah, that's the, I wrote that just, uh, just recently. Another thing that I wrote recently when I'm trying to find it is this one which is called a toast um and this is i've been thinking about you know it's it's i wrote this after reading a headline which is the first two lines of the poem um but i think i was thinking a lot about the queen's speech at the time which is a, a british christmas tradition um and uh and the royal family have been in the news a bit lately so this is about some of that stuff are the rich already infusing themselves with young blood? Haven't they always been? What were those wars for? Green and pleasant lands? Dream on. The stones demand their rust-colored tribute. The soil wants to close around bone. They have bargained with the lands they claim to own, blooded their children, sent them off to bash camps to be buggered into English manhood, zit that oozes royal puss. Mount Batten, introducing Charles to Mr. Seville, having children chauffeured in in uniform, going down with the ship on a six counties trip. I give you Her Majesty, mother of monsters, mother of Andrew and Maggie and Myra, owner of the infant-studded moor. And continuing on the, um, the anti-English propaganda trip, uh, this is, um, I was, so Keir Starmer, who's the new leader of the Labour Party, has this radio show where basically people from the public ring in and say really racist stuff and he doesn't say anything to challenge them because, you know, the Labour have got this idea that we need to be more racist to get elected now. So this is a, this is a poem about why I object to this and where I think this started going wrong. This is Tinkerbell Britain. You can draw a line from a media clutching their pearls over a woman with bigoted views being called a bigoted woman and our 
dead. For there began the lie they call legitimate concern. The fictional non-racist, racist voter. The snowflakery that bigot is a slur. On that day, controls on immigration mugs became inevitable, and the mainstreaming of Lothrop Stoddard fantasies, the lying about Turkey, the divorce of fact from emotion, which shacked up with cowardice and started huffing fascist meth, but somehow still got custody of everything. Of course they didn't have a problem. What did doctors know? We've had enough of experts who can prove everything with their facts. I claim my freeborn English right to have my pet bigotry coddled. It fed the always tempting lie that we were somehow special, that waving a flag as a vaccine, that bunting and cupcakes were hygiene, that keeping calm and carrying on and cleaning for the fucking queen and clapping for the nurses when they don't have PPE are meaningful activities and not the action of a cargo cult, the willing of Tinkerbell Britain to be great again. Believe enough and she will rule the waves anew, they promise as more perished than died in the blitz. It's left us naked for the world to see an ex-empire with dementia, whose former colonies know more than we have ever learned about how being free means acknowledging responsibility. She was a bigot. He was right to say it. She had neither reason nor right to expect an apology. Uh, that's that's Tinkerbell Britain. Um, so two things. I. I find it weird reading when I'm looking at myself, so I actually just shifted the screen along slightly. Um, so I've only just noticed Stilly's Fez. So that's amazing. Um, and Holly, yeah, I left the Labour Party uh, fairly recently as well. I, I joined the, uh, the the Northern Independence Party uh, <laughs> because uh, they seem to be less racist. And, you know, and I, I genuinely, you know, I wrote a book called England is the End. I genuinely think that if the, the smaller we can actually make the English bit of Britain, um, the better off we're going to be. Um, so that is, uh, so if, if, if the North becomes Northumbria, England just shrinks down ever further. And then hopefully Cornwall will become independent as well. And then, you know, we can just, you know, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's my plan. Um, uh, so this this is the last poem. Uh, I did this because I'm doing this just because I had an argument with an anti-masker today. Um, someone who was uh, what was a, a rat licker, as I've seen people refer to them because of the reference to the plague. Um, so this is uh, they they said, oh, it's not a problem. That this isn't a pandemic. They've said it only affects one percent of the world population, and it's like. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people in the world, right? You know, 1% of the population is still, well, which is the wrong figure anyway, but even if it was only 1%, you know, that would still be a lot of people. So this is a poem that I wrote fairly early in the lockdown, um, when I still went to malls. <laughs> this is called Reflections of a Mall Cop. About a month before the lockdown, I was picking up my meds from the Boots Pharmacy in town. A mall cop said, but what's 2% in the grand scheme of things? I knew what he meant. Back then, a lot of folks were saying things like that. And now they're clapping for the NHS and joking that the lockdown is like a prison sentence. I wonder if he's being paid while no one's going shopping. I wonder what he'd say today 
about the scheme of things. So yeah, I sent her that. Um, so hopefully that will piss her off. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time. Um, yay, thank you. Thanks, everyone. I'm going to mute myself again now. Cheers. Thanks, AJ. Okay, so next we're going to go to Tuesday. Hey, um, so on Tuesday, I am a she, her, and I live in the People's Republic of Cornwall. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that, AJ. Yeah, we're going to be independent soon as well. <laughs> I've got four poems to share tonight and um, they've all got strong themes so I'll just give a content warning for all four of them for the entirety. Um, so there's child loss, there's addiction, drugs, alcohol and rape that we'll be touching on tonight. Um, for my first one I thought I'd share one because it's winter solstice on Monday and the winter equinox at last. That means that our nights over here will start to get lighter gradually again. Summer's coming, which I'm so excited about. Um, and this is one that I wrote about winter. Winter sits in our foreboding skies. Derelict, devotion abandoned, all but the shabby tea light that I tend. Ghosts of our children brand the window panes, shadowed by the waning sun, dormant. Ivy holds decaying walls, the shabby flame inside burns. Protect it from icy blades protruding from the draft. Floorboards echo shadows of your footsteps, omitted. Sat frozen in silence, protecting the flame with assertive vigilance. Disrobed against the floor beside our unmade bed, I wait for our sun to rise and wax again. Thank you. And this one is called, I am the same age as my mother. This conversation had already begun on my walk home, his closing door sending shockwaves rattling through my bones. Reaching the end of his road, clouded and within a state of trance, I may have left, but I was still full of him. It felt like I had wet my pants. From the school gates, the wind carries jovial screams which penetrate. Would they see me? Please. Don't see me. It's blowing into my pores, chilling right through to my core. Cars speeding past me in slow motion as if this feeling grew, as, the, as this feeling grew. Their occupants' eyes studying me as if they knew. Picturing my father's dismay, imagining what his friends at the station might say. The leaves outside are forming, sprouting towards the sunshine, groomed and nurtured, they reach out to their sweet Valentine. That sunshine warms blushing skin, challenging the cold within. Leaves are comforting, not pretending to be wise or judging something they just can't comprehend, only innocently restrained by a branch until they enter their free fall. And with every step, my feet hit the floor like an almighty waterfall. Crashing through the front door, I was greeted by the force of her motherhood. The school's been on the phone. Where have you been? Cowering with what was left of my girlhood, there was no need for me to digress. Suddenly, she chose to confess. And in that moment, as we cradled each other, we were both 13. 
thank you. Um, this one is A Dance With My Salvatore. Trickling in dribs and drabs, it begins. In quiet stillness, my skin moves from within. Slowly crawling, he begs me to dance. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. To scratch will only make him beg more loudly. I begin to shuffle and sway, gently. I try to soothe him into submission. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Crawling against my cotton embrace, he leads me to pick up the pace. With each tick off the guest list, he intensifies. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Bursting through doors of capillaries, spilling the dance floor of the dermies. Determined and frustrated, he begs me to dance. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. The party now in full swing, scared of what I'm missing, tentatively I begin to rub. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Rhythmically, I give in to his call, trying not to scratch the floor. I dance with my Salvatore. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. With each count, I become weaker. He leads me to rub even deeper. In full force, he increases his demands. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Each step we begin digging, before I know it, nails are clawing, savagely whipping into my skin. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. This dance becoming so sore, blood dripping onto the floor, my flesh becoming exposed. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. My arms flail and fall. He continues his fiery call, ferociously burnt red brawl. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Pounding for the encore, he ruptures every pore. My twisted Salvatore. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Dancing in such disdain, morphine to ease the pain. But he's the itch that I cannot abstain. Thank you. And um, I recently just celebrated, since the last time that I was with you all, um, six months sobriety. And to celebrate, it brought back a lot of memories. And I wrote this, which is a villanelle for the weekend. Thank stilettos across frayed carpet, light refracted drained vodka bottles acquired, rise to lipstick on hardened kebab meat scarlet. Air struggles to fill the cage target, dressed with breasts that are so desired. Thank stilettos across frayed carpet. Mouldy debauchery stains like a harlot, wrapped in a blanket of discontent so tired, rise to lipstick on hardened kebab meat scarlet. Mirror balls reflecting onto the walls starlit, regulated squirm until we expired, spank stilettos across frayed carpet. Oily tears cleanse cheeks that are lit, no makeup remover is required, rise to lipstick on hardened kebab meat scarlet. Last night's dance floor felt so inspired, how in each move bodies were admired. Spank stilettos across frayed carpet, rise to lipstick on hardened kebab meat scarlet. Thank you very much, everyone. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. Thanks, Jose. Okay, so apparently it's me now. Yay! Um, 
And you would think, because this is every two weeks, that I would be prepared, and you would be wrong. Okay, so I have two seconds. had I've been moving paper about all the time this has been on. I don't know where it's not that. Is it these? I have not really paper everywhere behind this thing. Um Okay, I've got one that I've done before here. And then I have like two random sort of stream of consciousness ones that I did at work when I was supposed to be doing that job that I do when I just really sit there and drink coffee and type. Um, yeah, this is called Coastline. The coastline is quiet at this time of day. Waves crash silent out of respect because sometimes silence is bigger than a gesture and sometimes noise isn't enough. The lights this season dance along the shore, sending a Morse code message of festive hope. It's almost December. I can see my breath, my hands are numb, my feet are cold and I'm alive. And this year, that's enough. Um, that was like the first thing I wrote. In. I say it, like, I always say that. It's like, oh, this is the first thing I've wrote. In. And it's been like a week. So like, I don't need to panic. But if I don't write for three days, I'm like, Oh my god. Um, yeah. Um, so these are sort of like I was just typing at work and then I just kept typing. Um, yeah. So this one's long and then the next one's rather short. And then I don't know, we'll think of something to do. We'll maybe go around again. I don't know. We'll we'll do something, but for now, um this. I still haven't quit that job I hate so much. I guess I didn't get round to it, or when I did, it was already November, so I thought I might as well wait till the new year. Besides, 2020 has been a kind of crazy year, if you hadn't noticed. Not that you couldn't notice, and what does it matter to you anyway? I'm the one who has to go through this shit, and I mean this specific work shit, because I know we're all fighting our own battles, but sometimes mine feels like a war, and like most wars, I'm not exactly sure why I'm fighting, or even why I'm writing this, but I got this far, so I might as well keep typing while the words come. I spent most of this year away from the factory, and now most of my friends are people I've never met, but we hang out all the time, and the Zoom room is now my local. The conversations are so much simpler now with the ability to mute, and I think it's, I think I'm a better listener now, but for the most part, the conversation, that's all I do anyway, I just listen. Not that I spoke loads before, at least not when I'm sober, and that's another thing about this year. You would think with all the time away from the factory, I'll be drinking more, but you'd be wrong. I think this year I've drank way below what would be considered average, and that's for a normal year, not in these strange pandemic times, because in those standards, I'm probably straight edge. Besides, this year I only puked up twice, and one of those had nothing to do with alcohol. In fact, I think it was because I ate chocolate right before bedtime, and I was already pretty stressed that week because of the job that I hate that I haven't quit yet, but I absolutely will next year. So looking back, it kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, so that was like the silly rant uh, that I did at work. Um, it's supposed to be read fast, but I think I was trying to read it too fast for my brain. Um, yeah, and I haven't practiced it, so I might have um, Yeah, so this one, um, again, I was just typing. Um, I don't know, see what you think of it. I, I think it's fucking funny, um, but you all don't work with the people I work with, so I don't know. 
Okay. Um, so this is like, I don't know, like, because I was doing a stream of conscious thing in separate parts, like this was supposed to continue on from a bit. So it's like, oh, and while you're here, translate to do matter, regardless of what your midlife crisis, straight white angry male colleagues at work say, quick scrolls through their internet search history proves that they are conflicted at best. I'm sure you know what I mean, but if you don't, it means they're the kind of people that say the words puff or faggot on an almost daily basis or call out Harry Styles for wearing a dress, despite the fact that they secretly wish their wife would peg them. Not that that makes you gay. In fact, I highly recommend you try it at least once in your life. Cool. That's a thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, so that's me. I'm done. Um, that was great. Steli, do you want to go? Hold on, I need to actually be able to see you while I'm asking questions. Can do. Oh, I need to make you a co-host. You do? Oh, lordy, lordy. Right, okay. I should know this by now. Um, gather the children around. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. Re Mutiny Radio. There you go. Right, okay. Uh, we've got a lovely Christmas story. I've only got one Christmas tale, but here it is. And um, I hope it brings you as much joy as the, uh, the young children whose lives it has ruined. Um, oh, sorry. Let me uh, just... Uh, Figure out my uh, quick thing. Okay. Can everyone see that? Uh, sorry, I've got <clears throat> And this one is called <clears throat> The Absent Turkey. Randolph the Red Nose Penguin had a very shiny beak and if you ever saw him you would say it was unique all of the other penguins looked exactly just the same but randolph hoped his nose would lead into the ranks of fame he'd heard a story all about a reindeer who had led the team that pulled old Santa's sleigh through the fog on Christmas Day. Randolph spent all night waiting on the eve of Christmas Day, hoping that Santa Claus would need his nose to show the way. But by the next morning, Randolph had only seen night and snow. No sign of hooves or sleigh bells or the sound of ho, ho, ho. For Santa lives at the North Pole and penguins live down south. And since there's no one living there, Santa spends his time elsewhere. But Randolph was oh so desperate to spread the world some Christmas cheer. So he decided that night he'd try again this time next year. He spent the next 12 months shining and polishing his crimson beak and working on a new plan that would make sure that he'd meet St. Nick. He knew a team of explorers were hiking through these parts to plant a flag that was their goal when they got to the South Pole. Randolph got there before them, and by December 24th, He'd set up a tree and chimney and lots of bowls of nuts, of course. When the explorers reached him, Randall greeted them with mirth. He promised them the greatest Christmas for every boy and girl on Earth. They spent that evening writing lists and putting out their socks. 
since Randolph knew that Santa would reward them all for being good. Whilst the explorers slept on, Randolph tried to stay awake, but feeling so cold and tired, Randolph slept until daybreak. He spent all next morning whinging how he'd missed his chance to prove everybody's Christmas wishes really truly could come true. But Randolph got his wish that day, as you can plainly see. He made the perfect Christmas as a substitute for their turkey. Oh, how the explorers loved him as they shouted out with glee. Randolph the red-nosed penguin, you went down with cranberry sauce. The end. Cranberry, perfect. That was awesome. That was amazing. <coughs> what does Very penguin American taste food. like? I can't imagine penguin tasting good. It probably tastes oh, like fish. Blood. Fish bird, bird fish. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't like making decisions. Which is an adult is a brilliant thing to say. Um, <laughs> so, does anyone want to go again? Um, Probably like or not. We can we can we can cut it early. It's cool. I'm excited about yeah. solstice on the twenty first. That's gonna be that's gonna be great. And uh, mm. and our upcoming New Year's Eve show. So yeah yeah oh yeah I should maybe mention that right um, yeah. So we're still sort of planning it. Um, I think it's gonna it's gonna be on the thirtieth, as far as I know. Cool. Um, and I know that Erin's got a music act. Uh, there's gonna be a magician. <laughs> which really? Uh, which I haven't seen on Zoom yet. So that's like, that's different for me at least. Um, yeah. So that should be good. I don't know. Like I said, it's still getting put together, but that should be good. Um. I don't even know if I'm free that day, but I'm gonna have to be. I'm gonna. I'm making um, myself free. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm free that day. Awesome. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. Shall we? Shall we cut that there and then just like see everyone on the thirtieth and yeah. hope everyone has a good what Christmas and stuff. Is the 30th, yeah. Andy? Hmm? What day is the thirtieth? It's a Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, that's Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. I totally knew that. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Um, yeah. Well, oh, cool. Thank you, everyone, for coming because there was a, there was a couple of new faces here tonight, so that was that yeah. was appreciated. And um, when, whenever you quit your job, Andy, you're welcome to start Mutiny Radio Publishing with me in San Francisco. <laughs> we can that, that should definitely be something that happens. People need to read your stuff. Oh, not. I don't want to necessarily publish my stuff. I want to publish everybody's stuff. <laughs> so, but like, mine too. But mine too. This is this is genuinely true. So the first time I heard your poetry, I genuinely was like, as you were reading it, I was like, how can I publish this? Like, no, no shit. Like, sweat on. Like, I was like, this is good stuff. I want to like, 
I want access to it all the time. I want it. Yeah, that's so sweet because I, I think I like to I consider myself a mediocre uh, poet, but I'm a, I'm an amazing baker. I was trying to tell people this week, like my <laughs> life goal, my life goal is impossible. I want to be the first American on the British baking show. And I know that they'll never mm -hmm. let an American on the British baking show. Um, because they let a person on one. They've had Americans on BB, on BBB, I'm sure of it. No, not on the British baking show. Maybe they have to show them in the American episodes. Maybe like. I think we did have American episodes. Maybe the first, episodes. Be the first San Francisco. Yeah. Maybe they edit it. I mean, I can't even yeah. do an accent, but I'd I'd make everything with weed in it, and poor Prue would be like, yeah. "Oh, this is so good." They'd be like, "This is anyway." <laughs> I don't know if it's I get the legal. feeling Northfield will be all about that. Yeah. <laughs> what you need to do, family, you need to write a book of recipes and jokes and poetry. Ah, like start with like a delivery service that just sells like baked weed goods and then like i don't know like little poems, poems, like, little templates of yeah, like a little poem that goods. comes with it yeah, yeah. Like, like christmas tree, mm -hmm. but with like trees with weed in yeah i made the i made the chocolates today um well awesome thank you all so much for being on mutiny radio.fm and .sf and um i'm sure i'll see y'all soon and thanks for reading your beautiful work yay it was another yay. great day and uh, all the, the straight, there's always a strange theme, and today's theme was dentistry, which I really enjoyed because it is like having an ex-husband <laughs> going to the dentist. Uh, cool. Well, yay, everybody, and um, we'll be back. To be gone. Hey everybody, uh, I'm trying to figure out what mistakes I'm making right now. <laughs> like, why is this not playing? The volume's up and everything's... Oh, I see why, because... User... Just to let you guys know, you AltaCast listeners, coming up at 1.30, we're having a call from LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth. Until then, please enjoy some Bug House Square, some great music, and we'll be right back here. I've been your host, Pam Benjamin. That was Choose Poetry, Choose Life with Andy Talbot. Erin Gannon was working today, so she wasn't able to be with us, but... In two weeks, we'll all be back reading more poetry. And again, coming up at 1.30, a phone call from LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, here on the AltaCast on Mutiny Radio.
FM.SF. I'm waiting for LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, to call so that we can talk about the horrible things that happened this week or the wonderful things that happened this week. In the news, I was awoken with terrible, terrible news on Monday morning with the Proud Boys. I'm sure we're going to talk about that and uh, oh, the troubling state of our state, of our nation and the whatnot. So uh, she's going to be calling us in about five minutes. Hold tight and keep listening to cool music here at Mutiny Radio. Thanks to Bug House Square. The fight to make ends meet Keeps a man up on his feet Holding down his job Trying to show he can't be bought Who takes every kind of people Make what life's about, yeah Looking for a lead It is duty to a king or to a queen Protecting what he feels is right Fights against wrong with his life There's no profit in deceit 
Dylan playing there for a second, but Americana, yeah. Hey, uh, how do you feel about yeah. the, how do you feel about the Proud Boys this week? They're real proud about Americana. <laughs> Isn't it funny how? Uh, no, everyone was like, no, the Electoral College is great. The Electoral College is amazing until it doesn't work in your favor, jerks. Exactly. Yes. I still think we should abolish it, but these people are nuts. 
And you know what? What's what makes me even pissed off? Pissed off about the whole thing is they they destroyed property on two historical black churches. This, it, they're on tape doing this. Mm. Where were the police? Yeah. How come these people have not been arrested yet? Do you know if it was probably like a Black Lives Matter march or uh, uh, the uh, marches that we were having? Uh, this past summer, the police would have been out there oh, yeah. full force. Yeah. You know. With riot gear and rubber bullets and uh, all the stuff and the tear gas and these maskless, right. these maskless idiots. That's the thing that got me. A, stabbing four people and shooting someone in Olympia, Washington, bad. But then yes. B, they're maskless. I'm like, you idiot. I'm, and it just keeps trickling back up when the president doesn't wear a mask they go well Cora, why would we wear masks and that i saw pictures of them all being super close together and i'm like oh yeah well kill the shouting yes shouting spitting everywhere no masks uh, and they're like oh the electoral college six and it's like yeah we knew that and uh <laughs> Sucks when it doesn't There's work. There's video of um, of uh, them attacking this couple um, <laughs> that's been going around. Uh, this couple, I don't. They were just walking, and then all of a sudden, uh, they started attacking them. They pulled the girl's hair down, like pulled her by her hair onto the ground. They kept uh, the guy. Like you know what's funny about these these pussies. They sure like to they sure like to fight in groups, but when you have them one on one up against the wall, they sure turn to chicken shit. <laughs> well, I don't I don't believe in violence. I go back to the Martin Luther King standpoint, which is non-violent representation. And when they come at you and they're trying to be violent, that's the toughest thing. Is you just have to remain non-violent because. The machine of violence wants to incite people into more violence because then they say, well, we were justified. We were justified in and in, in, in kneeling on that black man's neck for eight minutes and 42 seconds because they were being violent. But it's like, no, they people were being peaceful. You brought violence. And you expect and people not to react to violence with violence. And, and people aren't. I mean, I saw a lot of the protests in in uh, Portland, and people were not being violent. They were just standing, but they were still getting attacked. All the violence being perpetrated is the system against the people. So... I'm from the... I I go by the teachings of Malcolm X by any means necessary Mm -hmm. because the the docile Negro is dead to me that turn the other cheek, walk away, I, 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 nah, you know, the thing is, if you're out to kill me, what makes you think I'm not going to go out and, like, do the same to you and to protect myself? Right. I have to protect myself and my loved ones, you know, and, you know, the thing is, I'm going to let you come at me first, and then I'm going to protect myself, or I'm going to give you a warning, and there's this group called the, um, Not Fucking Around men um they're mostly in the south but they're basically a bunch of brothers who this past summer they uh they uh 
the Proud Boys and some neo-Nazis were trying to start a riot in um, Stone Mountain, Mountain, Georgia, and the not-fucking-around guys, because, you know, basically the Proud Boys, and then they wanted to fight. So the not-fucking-around guys came with their guns as well and just stood there. Mm. And just standing there and just knowing that we're not fucking around and we'll put the fear into you, because you ain't gonna, you ain't scaring nobody. Because there's more of us than you. This, it, to me, says a lot more than actually putting your hands on someone. Mm. I rather put fear in people, and do psychological warfare. But hey, you know, like I said, I come from the the Malcolm X school of thought. By any means necessary, right. you know, because today's a new day. Well, you and know, guns are legal. If, if you have a, a permit to carry in Georgia and you can get together with a group of people, you we that's the Second Amendment. So that's the whole thing is some people, they're like, but these are the rules. And it's like, well, if, if these are the rules, then we all get to play by the rules. But if a black man has a gun and has a permit to carry and it's gone through all somehow, I, if we have rules in place, they should be applied equitably to all. But it, they're not. So I could see in, I mean, I, I just wish, I, I agree with you that the, the not fucking around guys, great, great, come out with guns, say, yeah, we are legally able to carry guns too. Are we all scared? Like, what's going on? I, I just, I'm such a baby though. I don't, I don't want violence, but I do want the system to change. And I realize that in any change, there's going to be violence. That, that, that's what a revolution yeah. is. Revolution, exactly. when you're over, you can't, you can't overthrow the oppression peacefully. I mean, I guess Gandhi said that you can, but did they? The Indian, the the Indians in India still have, you know, um, they they were colonized. Did did I mean? So you know about Gandhi though, right? Wasn't he a womanizer too? No, no, no. I don't know what was. No, Gandhi was a racist towards Africans. Really? Yes. He's brown. Um, you would think, right? But colonialism can do a lot of things to the brown man. Uh -huh. um, so he was deeply. He 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 had some really sexist, racist attitudes, and so. He, when he would visit Africa, um, he would call, uh, what was the name that he would call? He was in South Africa, and he wrote that white people there should be the predominating race. Oof. He also said that black people are troublesome, very dirty, and live like animals. What? He, he said this when he visited South Africa in 1903. Wow. He said Indians were almost as civilized, and Africans were uncivilized. Wow. But, and here's, here's my question. Why does, quote-unquote, civilization, why is this, why is, like, capitalism and the acquisition of stuff and things and these trappings, why is that civilized and good? People have had their own cultures and their own tribal way of doing like just their own their why is one culture better than another if it works it's good whereas it's like we come in you know with our like 
manifest what we said when we came, oh, all the Native Ameri all the Indians are, all the Native Americans are backward, and we're trying to help them, and we're trying to change them. What, why? Why are they, why is their not, why is their civilization not good enough? Right? Like the Aztecs were around for hundreds of years, and then the Spanish were like, no, but we're better. And it's like, I don't know, just the, the idea the, that, uh, oh, go ahead. It's that hierarchy complex that you know, we don't talk about, you know, because every society has it. You know, you have it in Latin culture of the caste system. You have it even here in America. You have it in Europe. Um, the Asian caste system is quite interesting. Um, you have it in the Arab world as well as a caste system. And the caste system, you know, before it, it seemed, before coloniza colonization, it seemed that it, it was more about class. Mm. And then once colonization came in to factor, it became class. And along with the caste of, um, of uh, your hierarchy of, to whiteness. Right. That, that, that somehow, somehow the Europeans, when they take gold and they turn them into lions, that's right. good. See, but yeah, if but you, you know what, it's, oh sorry, go ahead. Just all of the all of the indigenous art and all the beautiful things that were created that had nothing to do with like the European expansion. All the people that lived and created that has value. And we can look at it now and be like, yeah, they were they were making art. But why do we say, well, this art, which has pictures of Jesus and it's by Rembrandt, this this is this is worth, and this over here isn't. When it's it's still expression of humanity. And so why is the civilized you know, art better? And, and here's you know, I like I'm glad you're talking about the whole art thing when it comes to that because art and colonization, they. They coincide together um, because you have, you know, and this kind of ties into like when I was reading about or what, what I just stated about Gandhi and the uncivilized mm -hmm. and how the a lot of the artifacts of, you know, like um, African art, mm -hmm. even South Asian art or what have you, when we were so-called savages, mm -hmm. you have this savagery, uncivilized art that. France, like you'll have at the Louvre, that they won't give back to these savages <laughs> that they so called at the time. Uh, well, they still have. I mean, I'm going to say people still think that we're savages when I think it's kind of the opposite now because we never took people's land and conquered it and said this is mine and murdered people mm -hmm. for it. But like I was reading a story recently about how. A lot of um, African tribes um, want their art back Hell yeah. from like uh, from these museums, and because those people came down to these countries and stole it, mm -hmm. you know, like there's there's some of the jewels um, and um, ancient uh, Southeast Asian culture that a lot of these European cult, um, countries have on display which is kind of like a slap in the face. Right. And the same with like a, a lot of old ancient African art. But but that's savage to them. So why are you withholding such savagery? Exactly. Which on the flip side, there's a little bit of envious and jealousy. You know. Yeah. Well, and then the why point. if we 
it we acknowledge <laughs> it's just so funny because in the in the World War II when the art was stolen from the Jews later they have given it back to different families and said hey the Germans stole this from you and we're returning these well then why aren't we doing that from the when we stole in the 1800s in the 1700s in the 1600s why aren't we giving their artifacts back it's it's this, because they'd rather keep it and profit off yeah. it yeah because well, capitalism is the most savage thing out there. And we're like, oh, no, we're so civilized. Capitalism is fucking savage. It takes advantage of people. You can't make money in cap. The one person at the top who owns everything makes money off the backs of everyone else. And the less you pay them, the more money you make. It's savage as fuck. And yeah. yet we go, but this is civilization. And it's, but, but because it only... Because some people are benefiting, and those people like to continue benefiting. I feel the same way, right? What the fuck is the monarchy still doing? Why do we even have Queen Elizabeth? Why do we have this one family that owns the Windsor's own these beautiful... Uh, how many palaces do they have? And all of those palaces are filled with expensive antiquities. And yet... And there's all these people that wait on these people and their whole jobs. It's like, what is going on? You, I, I guess a it, lot of people. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm just ranting about the monarchy. I just don't understand it. And, you know, the thing is, like, you know, they still have a big influence worldwide um, because, I mean, that bloodline runs way, way deep into colonization and, and, the stealing of cultures and countries and I mean England and India yeah. England and China I mean it, it and that's not that long ago either and the Dutch the I mean, Dutch East Indies know. the French were colonizing have colonized tons of French you Guiana know, the French are still trying to do it yeah. the French are still trying to do it in a slick way and like uh like in Cameroon and what have you mm. Um, they're still trying to have their, you know, their stranglehold in Africa still. The French, they think, they're pretty grimy, and especially what they did to Haiti. Mm. Haiti still pays France back for what? For, for, because, why? Because Haiti was the first black country, and so France said, well, okay, fuck you, pay me. And now, and Haiti has been the way it has been for Century? Yeah, they've just At been this ab point? abandoned pretty much by you know. everybody. <laughs> well, I just recently learned that the reason that the Japanese uh, were angry at the United States and the reason that they went into World War II is that they were angry at all the colonizers. And they were saying, because on their island of Japan, they didn't have coal and they didn't have certain resources. And they're like, but in the Philippines and in the Dutch East Indies and in Indonesia, there's all of these resources. Why aren't Asians colonizing Asian countries and taking their resources? Why do these Americans and these English and these French get to and these Dutch get to come and these white people get to come in and take all of the resources from these island nations? We're an island nation. We're Asian we should be the ones that get this. And so yeah. I, I was and like, you, you, what? That's amazing. I didn't even, Oh yeah. I didn't even know there's, that. There's a, the hierarchy in Asian cultures goes as Japanese uh, would be at the top of the totem pole, then the Chinese, 
and then the Koreans, and then then everyone else is a, is a darkie to them. Well, because Vietnam was f- taken over. The French originally had Vietnam, French. and then we jumped in, and then I mean, and now Vietnam's the its own place, obviously, but. Uh, uh, Spain had the Philippines, I believe. Uh, yeah, because it was, I believe, I, I'm not 100% if it's colonized. I could look this up. Duh. But yes, uh, fr- uh, um, uh, who else am I thinking of? Um, I think uh, um, Thailand is the only Asian country out of all those countries that has never been colonized. Right. Because and it, they made a thing about the king and I. That it was called Siam, <laughs> the king of Siam. Uh, yeah, and they brought. I, anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, it's I, good. I, History I is that. important, and that even now I'm still learning because I my education was woefully white. It was not like I had no idea. You know when you're. It was just the way that we're taught in the American system of history. And I think that things are changing now when we're having more talks about indigenous people and we call them indigenous instead of, like we still called them Indians when I was growing up, right? Like cowboys and Indians. So there's been a change. I had to get that out of my vocabulary like quick, the fact that, um, no, we're indigenous, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, the, the thing is, if this ties into like what we were talking about, about with the Proud Boys and all these retarded cult Trumpists, mm-hmm. you know, you have books, you have your phone and computers at the tip of your fingertips now mm-hmm. where you can read about things, not propaganda. But you can find out about history and, and you know, what certain definitions mean, like, you know, socialism, communism, and all these isms that they like to throw at us. You know, they're, they're the same racist tropes that they, they used to do back in the day. So it's just all been recycled. But it, it just... I'm not going to say it pains me anymore, but it's just very laughable that these people just don't read. No, they don't read. They just, no. it's just, it's just, no. in contrast to when we were growing up, what limited resources that we had. I mean, the library is free, probably not in the time of COVID. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that, I mean, did any of these people pay attention? Well, like obviously they didn't pay attention in school, because <laughs> because school is socialism, right? <laughs> and it's elitist. It's just, you know, uh, they're all going to end up dying anyway. Well, everyone's going <laughs> to die, but I oh, wish yeah. that we could stave off this scary, what seems to be. It's just that it's this huge bipartisan polarized thing where I I mean I I put a little thing out on the Facebook about the Proud Boys and I got trolled and this guy came on and he's like blah, blah, blah. the other side is what? just as adamant about what they believe as I am about what I believe. You got trolled? 
I got trolled this week. Yeah, they threw a bunch of these acronyms at me, like all of these mean, like the new, I had to look them up because I was like, I don't know what these acronyms mean. And it was like stuff that they're saying about liberals, like that we're just stupid and anyways. But that's the thing is they think I'm stupid and I think they're stupid. So what? But how how would they know that you're a liberal? See, that's another thing too. To them, why is everything a lefty or a liberal? Right. How come you can't just be an idiot because you can't think and you're just because they are idiots. So the like, I mean, the thing that they, they objected to was the, the the I put out when I read the articles about the Proud Boys on Monday morning because it was the first thing that woke me up on my newsfeed. Gross. And uh, <laughs> so I wrote, "Idiot Proud Boys, uh, maskless." Uh, defending, you know, Trump's not leaving the White House. I said it, but I, I said it in a real kind of eloquent way, and and I got jumped on by by the trolls, which is which is fine. I, I kind of accept that as an idea, but I can't understand that anybody would support people that are violent in the street, who are not accepting our narcissist forty five douchebag who won't vacate he lost he got fired the american people fired you okay you're fired you know it you know how that works because you fire people all the time but it's like you got fired walk out of the fucking boardroom If, if he was himself and he told himself you're fired and that person didn't walk out he'd lose his fucking mind Except when it's him, he's like, but I'm better and more special and more entitled. And that's the kind of stuff I'm worried about trickling down, is this trickle down of entitlement, which already exists, because white people are already, we're already totally entitled. I mean, Americans, just as an idea, we're so entitled. And that he can't concede. He lost. But, oh, the Electoral College is terrible. Yeah, the Electoral College has always been terrible. And it swung in your favor sometimes, too. But now, thank God, enough of us said enough. You're fired. And and here's the mental mindfuck of it all. They think that him towering and pouting is manly. It it, it shows how, how strong. It shows strength. It's like everything. They live in, like, the opposite of everything, yeah. of Christianity, of what an alpha male quote is supposed to be, what a patriot is supposed to be. They don't even know what the definite. They don't even know that they live in socialism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even know that. Hey, most of those people, your dear leader is not for you. I mean, hello. Dur- in, during the election, didn't he leave some of his followers? Strand it in the cold after a rally. I mean, how much can he slap you in the face? Yeah. Like, they love the abuse. And I don't get it. One, I mean, and the thing is, it, it, it's just like these Proud Boys and all these Nazis and all that. It, it's just like, how is this a, how is this a strong man to you? How, does, yeah. how is he, how, how is he masculine? I mean, he's afraid of stairs for Pete's sake. <laughs> he's I mean, getting as big as Orson he, Welles. He's a big, he's a big guy. I'd be scared I of mean, stairs too if I was over three hundred pounds. <laughs> he's pouting of the fact, like, no, 
No, I won, I won, I won, I won. I won. Like, you didn't what? win. I just don't understand. Like, that's, mas- that's attractive to a woman who likes that masculine thing. Well, it's like, like a baby. When you have a three-year-old, the three-year-old goes, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. And you're like, actually, that isn't yours. This is mine, this is mine. And it's very hard to convince a three-year-old because they don't have the ability for critical thought and they don't have the ability for empathy. <laughs> empathy. And so it's difficult for them. And we just have a three-year-old child that's like, if I keep saying it, it's going to be true. And it's, and it's not. No, you can lie to yourself as long as you can lie to yourself and be delusional, but the rest of us are all really here in reality. And we have to put our foot down and be like, hey, get out. But, I mean, we'll see what's going to happen for the – we'll see what happens on Inauguration well, Day. The only thing I am, I will say this, um, there's definitely going to be a heightened in domestic terrorism. Um I do fear that we are about to go back into the the climate of mass shooting, and most likely they'll be white supremacists because they're they're fucking nuts. And I I think you know I think it is about to get a little bit more bloodier. I hope you so. know. Although, yeah, as we open this with, every revolution, there's blood in every revolution. In the Russian mm-hmm. Revolution, in the French Revolution, in any revolution, in the American Revolution, in the Civil War, whenever things have to change, can there be a peaceful way to bring about change? I'd like to see that, but we haven't, looking at history, there really isn't a historical reference that we can point to and say, look at this amazing change. Because did women actually, did we ever pass the ERA? No. Because there was no violence. <laughs> so maybe that's it. I, I hope that that's not the case. And I don't, I don't want change to come from violence. But that seems I mean, to how, be the history and the track record of the comes, way things change. When it comes to women's um, health, there's violence there, you know. Mm. There was a point in time when you had these right wingers blowing up abortion clinics. Yeah. You know, that wasn't that long ago. You know. Yeah. And you know, it. You know, targeting of uh, doctors and gynecologists. You know, so there. You know, it's always it's it's the right wing. Pro <laughs> yeah, because you're so pro right that we want to kill doctors, dicks. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much for calling in. This is the oh, this has been the Altacast. We'll be back next week at uh, next week at, next week at noon. I think, and it's the twenty third. I think is the date. Is it? Yay! Yeah. A Yay! And Monday is the solstice, and that's going to be exciting. And uh, happy end of Hanukkah, everybody. And happy uh, Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Good and good. I will talk to you soon. You're the best. Enjoy your day. Bye. Bye, Sheriff of Truth. Yay, Sheriff of Truth! All right, well, another successful, uh, another successful Ultacast. That was really fun today. And I'm glad we got both uh, the poetry reading and Latoya in. I uh, gotta go. I gotta go. So uh, let me see if I can find an old Some Call Me Tim. You know, I don't even want to play Some Call Me Tim. I'm sorry. I don't want you guys to think about religion. Let's play an old morning train because I miss J.D. Buell and he is no longer part of this mortal coil.
Hello, hello. This is Mutiny Radio, broadcasting live from the Mission District of San Francisco, California. And it is time to ride the morning train. <laughs> 